we continue to look at the parables of Jesus, I was looking at one area of Scripture yesterday, meditating on it, and I could feel the anointing on it, and then I said, well, we have to get back into this, 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 and I was going so far back, it just wasn't, uh, we're, we're just not, not there. So we're just going to take an area of Scripture here, it's a smaller area of Scripture. We're not necessarily taking the parables in order, just kind of taking them as we, as we need to cover them. But we're going to be taking a look at this parable of the, un, the unforgiving servant. How many remember that one? This is probably one of the more well-known parables. The parable who was forgiven a great debt, but then he did not go off and, and forgive others. We're going to take a look at that one to see some of the things that we can see for ourselves. Last week we were looking at the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. We saw it was a picture of the kingdom of God becoming what was not intended to be. We saw some of the things that are in the uh, in the scriptures on that. The herb became a tree. I thought about this when we were thinking about that. When you, how many have ever planted a tree? Either planted by seed, you get a little tree. When you get a little tree, do you call it anything but a tree? If you have a little oak tree, you ever call it? Well, that's not an oak tree yet. We don't do that. That's why Jesus is talking about herbs. So, there was the herb that became, we went over that word with you last week, the herb became a tree. It became something it was not intended to be. Once it became that tree, the concept of harvest was gone. There was no more sowing and reaping. And the birds made their home at the tree. The second one we looked at was leaven, which represented the false teaching. Jesus uses leaven as an example of false teaching. The woman took the leaven. Remember, the seed is received, but the woman took the leaven. Then she hid it. She concealed it. We used that, looked at that word. We got our word encryption from that word hid. Took the, the leaven and hid it, concealed it in the dough. And it permeated all through the dough and, and saturated all with the leaven. Did not cover this though this week. I had it down. I just kind of skipped over it, forgot it. How many remember that uh, that it was said that she put it into three measures? How many, how many know what that is? Three measures is a lot. It is more than enough for our family. It is a whole lot of bread, and this is more bread than you would you would need to use. So either she is making it for a crowd, or there's something about the three measures. So in looking up the, the three, I, I tried to say, well, what are some of the things that are out there? I couldn't really find anything that really settled with me. But you remember what the leaven represents? Just went over it. False teaching. When Jesus later on, he tells the disciples, beware of the leaven of who? And the Sadducees. What are the groups of teachers that are present in Jesus' day? Pharisees. Sadducees. And scribes. Three. There are three different groups of teachers in Jesus' day. And so the three measures may very well have just referred to the three teachers, the three groups of teachers that he was warning about in that. But these were negative aspects of the kingdom. Just because God started with something good does not mean it stays that way, even today. Just because something is called a church, just because something is called of God does not mean that it is. We simply need to look at the patterns. We need to look at the traits of it. Does it have the traits of darkness or does it have the traits of light? If it has the traits of darkness, don't get offended that uh, particular thing hurts you in some way. Jesus was telling these, these folks, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then uh, he also gave this, this parable. There are people that will come in the name of God and will do evil. Just as he also warned them in the end times. Many will come in my name. But don't be deceived. Look for the signs. Look for the traits. Constantly when we're going into the Word of God, one of the things I try and always do with you is to show you the patterns of light. To show you the patterns of darkness. If you understand the pattern, you will understand whether something is of light or of darkness. Darkness tries to conceal. Light reveals. And if ever someone is trying to teach you something from the Word of God, but hiding part of it, that is a trait of the darkness. 
They may not be complete darkness, but that is a trait, and they can begin to move over that. We don't, don't need to go into that direction. Light reveals. Darkness conceals. And there's many other patterns, and constantly we're, we're showing you different patterns that are in the Word so that you can see it. Oh, there's that pattern. That's the thing that's, that's going on. We can, we can see that. We can understand that. Just kind of like if you were... This weekend you might have had some practice with this. How many know the sound of rain in your home? You know the sound. You can wake up. You don't have to look at the weather report. You can say, oh, it sounds like it's raining. Now, every home has a little bit different sound for the, for the rain, but it sounds like it's raining. Also a sound for wind. Sometimes you get both. But some, if you have wind, no, no, that's wind. That's not rain because you understand the pattern. It's the same thing with the things of God. Understand the pattern. When you hear it, when you see it, then you're not surprised when darkness comes along. Well, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Now, I will guarantee you that every single person here has asked this question. Just not quite like the way Peter did. How many have ever had relatives in your house and they have, they have hurt you, they've offended you, they've betrayed you? And they're coming over. You're going to see them. Somehow there's going to be a connection made with these, with these relatives. If they weren't relatives, you'd never see them again, but they are relatives. So you're going there and you're thinking, do I need to walk in an attitude of forgiveness? Do I need to walk in a way? Look at all the times that they have hurt me. Look at all the times that they have betrayed me. Look at all the things that they have said. Maybe it's not relatives. Maybe it's some friends. Maybe it's some people in the neighborhood. And you get bothered by this. How many times do I need to take this? This is kind of what Peter is saying. How many times shall my brother offend me? Now, he's not talking about brother relative, though it certainly could be a relative. We're talking about somebody in Christ. We're talking about somebody who says they are a Christian, but they have done some things. They have hurt you in some ways. Peter is saying, now Peter came to him. You go back a little bit further in this, you're going to be see this is Jesus and the disciples. Jesus and the disciples. Let me remind you this. What is the purpose of parables? The purpose of parables is so that Jesus can teach the principles, but the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious people, they, they won't hear. It is, it is to conceal truth from them because they are not diligently looking for it while revealing it to those who look for it. That's what the light is there to do. The light will come out. It will reveal this. You're looking for it, so you're going to see it. You don't want to see it. You don't want to believe. You won't see it. But all you got to do is turn yourself to the light, and you can see that. Just uh, I'll give you an example of this. Paul. Paul, when he was a Pharisee, Paul, when he was against Jesus, did not see the things of the light. But it was there. He gets converted. What happens? His eyes open up and he's out there preaching the things of God because now he can see what just a day or two before he couldn't see. It's there for you to see it. But if you choose not to, if you desire, I, I don't want to see this thing, I don't want to go after God, it won't show up for you because the darkness has concealed it in your life. But if you let the light, if you let the light come in, it will open it up. So, Jesus is now teaching just the disciples. You remember what he said? I think it was over in Luke. He said, to, to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. So if Jesus is to give a parable and it is only given to his disciples, is there any tent to conceal truth from those not listening? No, because he said, to you, it has been given to know. So the purpose of this particular parable, the ones we were looking at before, there was a purpose behind it to make sure that the truth was only given to those who wanted to see it. But on this one, it's given to the disciples. So this parable, the purpose of this parable is to reveal truth. Let's keep that in mind when we're going through here and taking a look at this. Peter came to him, said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you, up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, Peter may have been 
just pulling a number out of a hat and just saying, well, seven times. I mean, if I forgive them seven times, that's pretty good. Wouldn't you say? That's, that's a, that's a pretty good deal. Just like a, but just like before, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven. If you don't understand the purpose of the parable, you will come out with a meaning different from what it's supposed to be. If you don't understand the mustard seed parable is about a negative aspect of the Word of God, then you get a positive aspect from it and you begin to think that the Word of God is supposed to be this tree where birds are hiding, uh, making their nests in. Oh no, that's not it. That's the enemy of the seed. We don't want them in the making nests. But that's what happened. Now the parable is at the end of a teaching session. This is the, he's coming to the end of a teaching session. This is the teaching session for the disciples and it is brought on by their questions. They came to Jesus and asked questions. We all know Matthew 24. What will be the sign of your coming? And in the end of the age, we know those, that teaching session. Well, this is another one that was brought on by the disciples' questions. In... Um, I put this in your outline. I think I left you with these blanks. The focus is on who we don't forgive, not who we do. The focus of this parable, the purpose of this parable, is who we do not forgive, not those whom we do. How many of you ever thought about this when you go before God? You got <clears throat> Just do a show of hands on this one. How many have somebody that you have in mind that you've had to forgive multiple times and don't feel like doing it again. Come on. Stop being super spiritual. <laughs> it's alright. My hand was up. Doesn't mean that you're carnal. It just means that you have those emotions get stirred up on the inside. I don't want to. This parable is not about the 20, 30, 100 people in your life that you have forgiven. This parable is about the one or two you have not. Jesus has some principles to teach us for this. Our problems are not in what we let go of. You have very few problems in the things that you let go of. It's the things that you hold on to. If you let go of that hurt, if you let go of that situation, if you let go of that memory, it doesn't give you, give you any trouble anymore. It's the ones that you hang on to. The ones that you still got in your memory. Well, I remember that awfully well. <laughs> I remember what you did. I remember what you said. Those things that we hang on to. That's what we do. Take a look at these other verses of Scripture on forgiveness. In Matthew 6, 14, for if, you for, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's a nit there, isn't it? If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, that means if there's some people out there that I say, I'm not going to forgive them. Just got to bear this in mind. If you've been here around for a while, you know this one. Forgiveness is not the same thing as reinstating, trusting. Understand, God forgives everybody who asks Him, but He does not trust everyone. Just because you don't trust someone, or just because you're not willing to restore them to a place in your life where they were before, does not mean you have not forgiven them you don't know that, the enemy comes along and says, well, you haven't restored trust in them yet. You have not put them in that place they were before because you're not stupid. Don't be stupid. If Follow the pattern of God. This is the pattern that God has. God will forgive you, but God does not restore you to the place where you were at right away. You've got to build that back up again. You got to, God has to see, well, we can trust you with this again. Because God trusts you with things of the kingdom. Just like you trust people with things of your family. This, I'm sure this has not happened to anybody here, but I'll just use this as an example. If you know that somebody in your family abused one of the members of your family, a child, something like that, and they came to you and they said, I am sorry that we did that. Oh, okay. I, re I will forgive you. Here, have my child again. Would you do that? No, because you're not stupid. So what if that person comes up to you and says, but I thought you forgave me. I did. <laughs> I did forgive you. But I'm not putting that trust in you. That comes, that is earned. You are perfectly 
fine to be able to do that. I've told you the stories before. There are certain people that I have come across in the body of Christ in this area from times that I've served in, in churches before that if they showed up here in church, I would stop the service until they left. I've told you that. I've warned you about it because I didn't know if it would ever happen. If it ever happened, I will stop the service until they leave. It's not because of what they did to me. It's because of what I know they have done to churches and what I know they have done to people and I will not trust you with them. I will not put you into their hands. I will not allow them a position in your life to harm you. So there's a whole lot of people, some of you never even seen. Some people, they aren't people in my past, but I can just say, no, 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 this is not someone and we've headed it off. We've taken care of it. Uh, no, that person does not come in and around here. That is a wolf in sheep's clothing. We do not need that. You've got to do the same thing with your family. You've got to protect those ones. You can forgive them, which means I'm not going to be angry and bitter towards you. I'm not going to let those things fester inside you. But that does not mean that I trust you with these folks again, with these little ones. It doesn't mean that you trust them with the things that you're feeling. It doesn't mean that you trust them with the things that you're thinking. They've already shown you they're not trustworthy. So do not put that upon them. Do like God. Forgive like God did. God does not ask you to forgive any different than He did. We've gone over that before, but it, it's just something that can really get people hung up. So Peter comes here. He's coming asking a question. How many times? Here's the reason why Peter is asking the question. He wants to live up to something measurable. He wants to live up to something measurable. He wants God to say, all right, if you forgive them seven times, I mean, that's going over and above. Once they hit seven, it's over. You don't need to forgive them anymore. And he, he wants that release. And he's not getting that release. No, 70 times seven. 70 times seven. That's what we want to do. Uh, no. He wants to live up to something measurable without understanding the principle. What you need to understand with forgiveness is understand the principle of forgiveness once you understand the principle of forgiveness, the measurement isn't important. All you got to do is come up with a principle. I put it in, in an area like this. God's Word, this is a cubit, if anyone wants to know. Uh, there are three different thoughts as to what a cubit is. This is the middle one. <laughs> some, some folks think it's out over here. Some people think it's, it's back over here. But this is the middle one. This came from over when we were visiting the ark. And uh, when the Bible says this is a cubit, this is around this. This is probably the size of a cubit, but it could have been a little bit longer. It could have been a little bit shorter. But anyway, that's the cubit. But when the Bible says a cubit, a cubit is a cubit. This is it. This is the, this is the thing that you measure by. So when the Word of God says, thou shalt not worry, that's, that's, a, that's God's measure right there. Thou shalt not be anxious for anything. That's God's measurement. We don't want to measure with cubits. You know what we want to measure with? Tape measures. Why? Because I can change it. You see, God's cubit might be... God's cubit is out right, right over here. And if I take my actions and I put it up to God's cubit, I come up short. Oh, I'm not quite doing it what, what, what God wants me to do. What we want to do is say, well, God, you have to understand there were some ex, extra factors in that. So I know that you're calling me to, to hit this, but really, we, we need to shorten that a little bit. Because you don't know what I was facing. Right? <laughs> but God, you, you didn't see what they said. You didn't hear what they did. You, you didn't see all the stuff. So see, I know that you want me up here, but can I just, you know, just shorten it a little bit and come up a little bit short and still be good? That's where we want to ask. Can I come up with something that's a little bit less? We like tape measures, but God has a standard. And what Peter is trying to say is, is that standard seven? And God says, no, the standard's a principle. Understand the principle. And so this is what he's going to teach them about. This is what this parable is about. I am going to teach you, Jesus says, I am going to teach you the principle of forgiveness. If you understand the principle of forgiveness, you will never ask how many times. And in fact, it won't be difficult for you because you understand the principle. So this is where we're going at with this, this one. There's a teaching that Jesus did 
back in uh, Luke 17, 3 and 4. Now, Luke 17, this came after uh, some of the things that may, may have come after this one, but I'm going to read this for you. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. It is hard not to hear that without hearing the number. But Jesus is not teaching the number. He's teaching the principle. If Jesus taught this in Luke chapter 17, and of all the things that Jesus taught, and all the things that Jesus did, it cannot be contained in written word. I'm going I'm to put this to you. More than likely, he taught this more than one time. He probably taught this before. And Peter pulled the seven from what Jesus said. Peter, Peter got it from somewhere. I think he probably got it from something that Jesus said. And here in Luke, we have it written down. Remember this principle. We're going to come back here and look at this principle again. So, I put this in your outline, but the principle that Jesus was teaching does not translate to a number. The principle that Jesus is teaching here does not translate to a number. He is not saying seven. He is giving a principle. Understand the principle, you won't see the number. I put this in your outline for you too. There is a spirit of forgiveness just like there is a spirit of repentance. How many of y'all can tell when somebody has truly repented? There's a spirit about them. How many can also tell when there's a spirit? There is no repentance in this one at all. Greatest example is, you know, little kids. Little kids. Should you have done that? No. Say you're sorry. Sorry. Right? (laughs) There's no heart. There's no spirit of repentance. I am merely uttering the words you want me to say. That's not the principle you're trying to get across, but that's what they're doing. They're kind of ba- they're owning up to a number. But there is a spirit of forgiveness. Spirit of bitterness will war against this. The devil wants you to operate under a spirit of bitterness. He wants you to not operate in the spirit of forgiveness. If you can understand the principle that Jesus will teach in this parable, you can function by the principle of forgiveness, not the number. You will have the spirit of, for- of forgiveness on you and you can be able to tell real easy, oh, that's, I just need to walk in forgiveness. Oh, hold on a minute. We're going in this direction. You'll know much more clearly. All right, let's go back over here to the parable. Verse 24. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. How many people know what 10,000 talents is? Yeah, no idea, right? <laughs> I pulled three different translations for you in this so you can get an idea of what it is. Weist says it this way, And while he was beginning to compute the accounts, one was brought to him who owed him about $12 million. The Amplified puts this number at $10 million. The New Living Translation just simply says, One was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. It is multiple millions of dollars that is owed. What Jesus is, is still saying here, he's not trying to get the number across. He has picked a number that is so huge. There is no way in his lifetime that he could get enough money to pay this back. And the man has nothing. Otherwise, if he had half of that money, don't you think he would come and say, here is half of it. Just wait for the rest of it. He apparently has none of it. Somehow he took 10, 12 million dollars, did it with something, and now he has nothing. Or it's all tied up in an investment. Maybe it's he just bought some stuff, it's all tied up, he can't get at it. Maybe he just wants time, just wait for me, and I'm waiting for this investment to come back, and maybe this guy's just saying, that investment isn't ever coming back, let's just throw you into jail. Let's just be done with this. He's not going to get his money back that way either. But understand, when, he's, when he says 10,000 talents, this is a huge sum. And not a sum that he can go out and get a job and pay it off. But he was not able to pay his master. Well, I'm sorry, as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Now, this verse can slip right by you just like the mustard tree, just like the, the leaven. These things can slip right by you. But this verse tells you what kind of a master this is. And it's real easy to miss it. 
Look at what this, look at what he says. He was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children. Jesus is teaching this to disciples and they know the law. It is against the law of God to sell a man's wife and his children to pay off a debt. Understand this. It is against the law of God to sell a man's wife and his children to pay off his debt. Why does Jesus bring this in? Simply for this. The man who is the master is not God. If he was God, would he not operate by the law of God? This parable is not given for the purpose of having us evaluate the master. It is to evaluate and understand the unforgiving servant. That is the purpose. That's thrown in there. How many of that can get by you? That can just slip right in. It did not slip away to them. They know that. Just like they knew some of the facts that get away from us in the mustard tree and the leaven. They can get away from us. They don't escape them. They live around this stuff. They know. Wait a minute. Why did he sell? Well, they knew immediately. Well, he's obviously not Jewish. He's not someone who, who uh, honors the law. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Now, this is a parable. This is a story that Jesus is making up. He has created the story. He has created all the characters. He has created all the, the lines that they say. Jesus created this line. Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Now, I don't know what this guy is thinking about, but if he doesn't have any of the money, more than likely, that is a false statement. That is a statement that is, has false hope all through it. Whatever, but the people listening to this, wait a minute. How are you going to pay 10,000 talent debt? How are you going to do that? Have patience with me and I will pay you all. But remember that line. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. I looked up this word compassion because he was moved with compassion. Some translations put in here pity. And that got me curious. All right, I got to know what this word means. Did the master, who is not God, have pity on him? Or did he have compassion? So I went and I looked up this, this uh, word to follow it out. Fortunately, it's not used that many times. I was able to look at all the references and times that it was used in the Bible. The times that it is used in the Bible, it is used when Jesus was moved with compassion and healed their sick. It was used when Jesus was moved with compassion and fed the multitude. These are some of the situations where you'll see this. This is... Um, I think I put some of them in your, in your outline for you. These are the types of things. It was, it was moved with... I couldn't find a single time in the Word of God where it was used for pity. It was used, moved with compassion. He saw them. He had a longing for them. He, he loved them. He was moved with compassion for them. And so he stepped out here and he did this. So he is using, Jesus is using this exact same word that the writers of the gospel use to describe Jesus very often. So I don't think this is a pity word. I don't think there's anything else we can, we can learn from that. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. The servant asked for more time. Right? What did he get? He got forgiveness. It's kind of like if you lost your job and you were behind on your mortgage payment but you didn't want to get kicked out of your house. So you go to the bank and you say, I know we owe all this. Can you give us more time? I'm going to be starting a job here. I'm going to be doing this thing over here. Can you give us more time before you go into foreclosure? And you plead for mercy with them. And all you're asking for is more time. And the bank says, you know what? We're going to do one better. And we're just going to forgive you the entire debt. Consider it from this point on is paid. Wow. <laughs> How many of you ever heard of anybody, any bank doing that to anybody that you know? No, we haven't heard that. 
Neither has this guy. He has never heard anybody have a debt like this and ever be forgiven. He has no pattern to base faith off of to make a request, forgive me this debt. Only thing he can think of, only thing that he can put faith in, the only thing he can see and then wrote for is give me more time and I will pay the debt. But the, the master forgave him. This is a pattern. This is important to understand. The man would have likely never seen a debt of this magnitude forgiven. So he doesn't even ask for it. But he is granted something he's not even asked for by someone who does not even observe the law of God. So this is the unforgiving servant. Except right now, he is not unforgiving, is he? He is not. So that master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. Is that not the same thing that he said before? Is that not word for word exactly what the first servant said? Now, I know I've missed some blanks, and y'all get back to those blanks here in a minute. If I forget, just, uh, you know, just let me know. I think I put him in the wrong spot there for you. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. <coughs> I want to take you back to a particular word in here. Go back to verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. I looked up that word found because I want to find out about this. How many of you have ever looked for someone who owed you some money? Nobody. Can you imagine looking for somebody who owed you some money? Can you imagine somebody who borrowed a tool? Borrowed something for the yard? And you go looking for them because you want to get that thing back. Then there's also the situation where you stumble upon somebody. Oh, wait a minute. Don't you have my... Whatever it might be. Oh, yeah, I do have that. All right, we come... There's a difference between going out and finding them and having them come upon you, isn't there? The mentality is different. I need that particular tool now, so I am going to go out and find the person who has it. And so you go over to their... You don't want to call them. You want to go over to their house because I need this now. Knock on the door. Hi. Can I get my tool? Can I get my whatever back from you? You have sought them out. But if you're just <coughs> strolling around the neighborhood and neighbor Joe shows up and, oh, hey, neighbor, are you happen, do you happen to be finished with that it's a different mentality. It's just something that's coming to mind. I wanted to know, what's the mentality of this man here? Is his mentality that he went out and looked for this man and found him, or is the mentality that this man just happened to come upon him? And so I looked up this word, found. It is the Greek word, purisco. It means to find, get, obtain, perceive, or see. It is used about 178 times in Scripture with most of those types of meanings coming out. Let me read you a longer definition. To come upon, to hit upon, to meet with after searching, to find a thing sought without previous search, to find by chance, to fall in with those who come or return to a place. Now, if you read this word, this definition, you might think he went out and looked for him. But I went a little bit further than this because I one of the things you can do with the Greek language is not only understand the word that was used, but understand the words that were not. In fact, there are sometimes more light gained by looking at what words they didn't select than looking at the words they picked. In this particular one, Jesus is using this word, herisco. But there is another word that means to diligently search until you discover or find. Now listen to this, it's going to sound very similar. Anarisco. Anarisco. 
You might notice a few different sounds, but the, the ending comes up the, the end. This particular word is used two times in Scripture. Twice. 178 for the first one. The only difference between this is you lose the H pronunciation in the first one and you put on the negative word uh, uh, prefix N on it. What this is going to mean is to find out, to search for, to search diligently for one of the places where this is used. One of the times that this is used is when the shepherds had the vision of the angels and they said, go and see this thing. And so they said, we've got to, we've got to find this. So they went into Bethlehem and they searched for the child. And that is where we see this word. One of the times this word is used. They made a, they made a diligent search. They went in to look for it. Jesus had this word available to him. But he uses the softer one. It may be that the man just happened upon him. Or it may be that as he's wandering through the crowd, I'm not making a deliberate effort to go to his house. But if I happen to see him, he owes me some money. And maybe I could get some of that money because right now I don't have any. Whatever it might be. So it's a little softer word. So that tells me that this man did not make a diligent search to go and find this guy, but he may have been looking for him. It's a little softer. Just tells me a little bit more about the mentality of the man. Now he receives the exact same words. Exact same words that he just spoke. Can you imagine this? You were before the master... You said exactly this thing. Same thing that this man said. Exactly. And now someone is saying exactly the same words to you. For the master, it stirred him up to forgive. For this one, no. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, verse 28, who owed him a hundred denarii. That's a couple thousand dollars. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. All right, now, he didn't just demand, he grabbed him by the throat. There's some violence going on here. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. He didn't ask for forgiveness from it. He simply asked for more time. Same thing he got. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Oh. Now this servant, who was just forgiven this huge, humongous debt, was given an opportunity to show him the exact same forgiveness and mercy, but on a much smaller scale. But he refused to do it. He decided, no, I'm not going to do that. The man who had been forgiven... This huge debt, just maybe hours before. He wouldn't do it. So, the man who was forgiven the great debt, I want you to see this. The man who was forgiven the great debt, he did not start off this story as the unforgiving servant, did he? He started off the story as what? The forgiven servant. He became the unforgiving servant. Was it ever intended that he be that way? No. No more so than the, than the mustard seed was supposed to become a tree. The intention is not there. The man became an unforgiving servant. If the master perceived that this man was an unforgiving uh, servant himself, do you think forgiveness would have been extended to him? Now later on, we're going to say something else. We're going to see that the master, when he gets before him again, the master is not only going to say that he's unforgiving. He's not necessarily pointing that out. He's going to call him something. Anybody remember what it was? Wicked. When he stood before him, hours before, in debt, hugely in debt, the master does not call him wicked because he was in debt. Calls him wicked because he refused to forgive someone himself. He wasn't wicked. He became wicked. He wasn't unforgiving. He became unforgiving. 
Do you see that? In the story that Jesus is telling us, this is what we have. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. They were very grieved. Now, I'm curious about that word grieved. I looked in the, the Weiss translation for verse 31. It reads this way. Then when his fellow slaves had seen the things which had taken place, the people that were servants just like he was, they were greatly affected by sorrow. And having come, they made entirely clear to their master all the things which took place. Now, I looked up this word here for the uh, for sorrow because I want to understand this. Do the people that are around him and watch this thing go on, do they come back to the master because they are mad at the man? Do they come back to him because they want they didn't like that he was forgiven this great debt and they weren't and they were jealous? What is the reason that they came back to it? So this word tells us a whole lot about it. They were moved with such sorrow for the man who was thrown into prison. They're probably thinking about his wife, his kids. They don't have a supporter now. They don't have somebody at the house because he's in prison. Their life has been disrupted because this man has been unforgiving. And they were moved with sorrow probably for the man who was, who was uh, thrown into prison. That was their motivating factor. It wasn't jealousy. It was sorrow for the person they feel like was, was given an injustice. So they came back to the master and they told him the whole thing. Look, we, we think you ought to know. The master did not ask them about it. They came to the master and they said, we think you ought to know what's going on here. Verse 32, Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. This, this master, who forgave such a great debt, how rich does that master have to be that you can just forgive that kind of a debt? Whew, that's something else. But he forgiven him this debt. When he heard about this, he said, Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Weiss puts it this way, verse 32. Then his master, having called him, says to him, Slave, pernicious one. I canceled for you the entire debt, seeing that you begged me to do so. Ought not you also in view of the very necessity imposed by these circumstances to have shown mercy to your fellow slave, just as I also was merciful to you? Just because of the way that I forgave you, should that not have moved you? Even if it wasn't in you to begin with. The way that I was moved to have mercy on you, should that not have had you moved to be merciful? And having been aroused to the point of justifiable anger, <laughs> his master handed him over to the torturers until such time as he would pay back all that he owed him. Now, this is not the godly principle of do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? It is a lower principle of doing what has been done to you to others. Because this has been done to you, then you should do it to others. It's kind of like that pay it forward thing. You know, you get in line and somebody has paid for your whatever it is that you, or your lunch, your coffee, whatever it is you went into the line for. You go in there, oh, somebody's already paid that for you. The person ahead of you is already paid. What does that generally move you to do? Oh, well, I'll pay for the person behind me. Here's, here's 10 bucks, here's whatever. And then you do that because that act that was done to you caused you to have an act of generosity and kindness. You didn't come in there just doing it out of your goodness of your heart. You might have if you thought of it, but you didn't really think of it. But now this person did this for you. They did it first and it prompted you to, to do that. Can you imagine if you were in line and you were paying for your lunch and you get there and you say, oh, don't worry about it. The person ahead of you already paid for it. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Oh, I really appreciate that. And then you step out of line, your way out, on your way out, and the person behind you comes up. 
Oh, I forgot my wallet. I'm sorry. I didn't realize I forgot my wallet. And you hear that and you, and you just look back and say, yeah, tough cookies that is, huh? And then you go on. You would think something's wrong with that person, right? But this is the kind of situation that it is. This kindness was shown to him and he just turns around and says, well, I'm not going to do the same thing. I'm not going to do that. The principle in the Word of God is to do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. So if I want other people to treat me mercifully, then I would be merciful to them. If I want them to be loving to me, I am loving to them first. I sow it. But here, in this one, I expected that you would do what I had done to you. That's a lower principle. It's not a godly principle. That's a lower principle. That's the one that the world can, can do. Even Jesus says this before. You think it's great that you are kind to those that are kind to you? Come on, the world does that. That's not such a great thing. And here, the servant wasn't seen or called wicked before, but he is now. Now we look at him and we see wicked servant. Let me go back and try and remember, get some of those things that were there. So he is called wicked. Not when he stood in debt, but when he stood as unforgiving. This is important for you to know. He is called wicked, not when he stood in debt, not able to pay, but when he stood as unforgiving. That's when he's called wicked. The servant would never be able to forgive more debt than he was already forgiven, than was already forgiven him. He won't be able to do more than that, but he could at least do what was forgiven to him. And he didn't do it. He chose not to do it. Now this is that, that concept of the thrower and the receiver. We've used this one before. You know, you think of, I think of baseball with this, but you could think of football or just about anything. If you have a person who is throwing the ball, you got a person who has to get into the position of receiving. So the person who throws the ball, throws it, and if it's baseball, you got a mitt and you're there, you're ready for it. The ball comes into the mitt, you squeeze the mitt, you catch the mitt. And you've, you've got it. Now if you are in the position, but you don't have your glove in a ready position, and the ball comes uh, hurling at you, then uh, it can may, it may just hit you. It may just you know clunk your right on, and that that can hurt. Now, when you're, have you ever taught a young person, young boy, young girl, how to catch a baseball? It's a tough thing to do because the baseball can be a fearful object because it's small, it's hard, and it's coming at you. And so, generally, when you first start this kind of thing, you know you're you're Lobbing it. <laughs> now get your glove out there. Get the glove out. And you get, no, don't put the glove down. Get the glove out there. And you're trying to throw the ball to the glove. Right? And trying to make it hit the glove. And if it hits the glove and it stays in the glove, oh, you caught it. Oh, that's great. They didn't actually catch it. But you start with, with that part. And then as you get better at it, you know, you, you're starting to throw the ball at them. And they, they're there with the ball. And the glove, the glove in the position to catch the ball. So they're, they're here like this, and you're throwing it, and the ball's up. But after you get accustomed to this, what are you doing? I don't know. If you're like me, when I got accustomed to the ball, throw the ball. I'm like this. Go ahead, throw it. And they'll throw that ball, and I can put that glove in a position to catch it really fast. Because I'm comfortable with it. I'm, I'm confident with it. Uh, you, don't, you weren't that way all the time. But after you get there for a little while, just as soon as, yeah, throw that ball. <laughs> just, you're, you're, you're ready with this thing. But you still have to get the ball, you know, the glove into position. When we become unforgiving, we are taking ourselves out of position to receive what God wants us to have. And what could have been a blessing in our life will conk us on the head. We don't want to, we don't want that to go on. So we have to make sure we follow things in the, in the way that God has. All right. Go back over here to where we were at. Now look at verse 35. Now Jesus is bringing the Master, the Father, in. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. Now, he's bringing the Father in here. He is specifically stating this is the, this is the trait of the Father. Understand, not all the traits of the Master are the traits of the Father. But Jesus comes in here and specifically says, 
Now, this is the trait of the Father. Understand this about the Father. If you want to be unforgiving, if you want to walk in that way, so my Heavenly Father also will do to you which each of you from His heart does not forgive His brother His trespasses. The New Living Translation puts it this way. That's what my Heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I want you to see that translation. This one's important. It is not a matter of just not forgiving. It is a matter of refusing. The New Living Translation, I think, really nailed this translation on this because this man did not merely not forgive. He refused to forgive. He refused to forgive. Do not let the enemy ever come up to you and say, do you remember this thing about the, what this person did? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I forgot all about that. Wow, I forgot. Yeah, and he brings that to memory. The reason you remember is because you haven't forgiven him. Oh, and some people get into guilt and condemnation. I've never refused to forgive that person. Didn't even come up in my, in my head. What this verse, what this parable is referring to, as far as the Father is concerned, you need to refuse to forgive. That means that somebody comes to you and says, will you forgive me? And you say, no. No, I won't do it. That's refusing. It does not mean, all right, I will forgive you. But you haven't restored them to the place they were before. That's not what it's talking about. We have to understand what he's, what he's there. If we can walk in this way, if we operate in this way, if we understand the principle, we haven't gotten to that principle yet. We've got to get to that principle. Got to hurry up. All right. So the context suggests the way the New Living Translation has put this out there, that you refuse. So the Father is brought in. This is a deliberate thing. Jesus deliberately brings the Father in. This would seem to be added motivation for us to obey. Wouldn't, how many of you have an added motivation for here to obey? Well, if I don't obey, I'm going to... Yeah, it would seem to be. But the tr- true motivation should not be avoiding judgment, but obeying His will. The true motivation for forgiveness is not avoiding judgment, but obeying His will. If the only thing that keeps you in the area of forgiveness is avoiding judgment, you will only get so far. You have got to get to the point where you will do it because you understand the principle of forgiveness and you will walk in it. You understand His will. You're obeying His will. There is a difference between not knowing the will of God and refusing to hear or obey. There are some people who just simply don't know what the will of God is. But there's other people, they know it and they will not obey or they refuse to hear more of the Word of God because they'll become responsible for it. Always be out there listening. Be learning. It does you much more good to know what you're supposed to do and do it than to be ignorant. When we don't know something or understand a thing incorrectly, God sends us correction through. There's four things I wrote down here. You can put them down in your outline if you want to. When we don't know something or understand a thing correctly, or when we understand a thing incorrectly, God sends us correction through teachers, the Holy Spirit, not always will we hear that though. The Holy Spirit can come. We can sometimes be so sold out on the misunderstanding that we have that we don't hear the Holy Spirit. But teachers can come. We may reject those teachers. No, I don't like that. Prophets may come. This is an ex- escalation. If the prophet's coming in your life to rebuke you on this thing, well, this thing has just been taken up a notch. And the body, the people in the, in the church, they can sometimes come around you and let you know, hey, you walk in an area you're not supposed to be. But I, but you, I, we must yield to the truth sent to me over the false belief that's in me. I've got to submit to the right teaching. If I see it in the Word, I've got to submit to it. I've got to receive the right teaching. If I keep hanging on to the false thing that I've got, it's not going to help me. And sometimes that false stuff will, will help you. You remember that thing we talked, we got into a few weeks ago. When something false gets in you, mercy will depart. And we showed you some examples from that in the Word of God. False, something false came in, mercy left. Something false got in this man. Something false came in. I don't know if, I don't know exactly what it is, but something false came in on this man. 
that changed him into a wicked servant, that changed him into an unforgiving servant. Because up until this day, this man still had this debt and never came collecting this way. Never. He did not one time throw this man in prison. As far as we can tell, that wasn't in his, uh, his idea to do. It wasn't until this day and after he received forgiveness that he decided to go this direction. He became an unforgiving servant. Something false got in. Did not receive what he needed from the pattern that was demonstrated to him. The master demonstrated a pattern. Here's a pattern. Complete forgiveness. He didn't yield to that part of him that was inclined to be merciful as he was shown mercy. Because there's something inside of us. You think something is weird if the person in line had something paid for by somebody ahead and then doesn't turn around and help this person who's short on money. Or short on money. You ever see one of those movies and the kid comes to the counter and he's got 93 cents and he's trying to buy something for his mom or his dad or, or somebody else and it costs $6, $10, $20 and, and uh, the guy's counting it on out there. What, what do you want to do when that happens? I mean, don't you want to show up? Where's that boy? Where is he? I want to go there now. I've got 20 bucks in my pocket. I will pay the rest of that thing, right? You're, you're moved by that. This man was not moved in that way. He did not yield to that part in him that was inclined to be merciful after he was shown mercy. He did not receive the pattern demonstrated to him and he resisted the same pleas of mercy from the other man that he had himself just uttered. So what thing, what false thing got inside him? Now likely it is a belief about himself. I think the most likely thing is he has a belief about himself of what he deserved and what others should do to him. Why did that get in him? Because up until this point, this man has never seen anybody forgiven this great a debt. And now this great man, who's greater than he is, forgave him this phenomenal debt. He's probably walking out of there and said, Man, I must be somebody good. I must be somebody. No one has been forgiven a debt like this. Wow. These people are privileged to walk the streets with me. And then maybe he sees that guy who owes him. Oh. You do not know what greatness you are in front of. And he's thinking on these things and he comes to this man and he changes the way that he is to this man because of what came on the inside. Something false came in. Mercy departed. I think that's probably the more likely thing. He may have had an inflated view of himself. He's the first one to receive such a great forgiveness. Now, did this man approach the second servant in a way to gain his brother? When the Word of God tells us to go correct somebody, doesn't He tell us to correct someone in a way that will gain your brother? He's not trying to gain the brother here, is He? He's trying to gain a payment on the debt. It's all He's trying to gain. And He's lost that, that part of forgiveness. Now, if you ever want to know if you have got bitterness in your life, i got three things here for you. Three tests that you can do. First off, if you have bitterness in your life, you will visualize the next meeting. Have you ever had people in your life and you are visualizing the next time you meet them and what you'll do or what you'll say? You'll, you're visualizing it. Probably you got some bitterness on the inside of you. If you are envisioning ways to hide your feelings from other people, you probably have some, some bitterness on the inside of you. If you are thinking about how can I appear loving and unburdened by this terrible thing that they have done. You are probably having some bitterness on the inside of you. And God says, don't have that bitterness. I, I shouldn't even be conscious of it. I shouldn't be thinking about it. It just needs to go. I had that happen one time as a, I was a youth leader and somebody uh, came and they, they confessed this great sin. To them, it was a great sin. I don't even remember to this day what it was, but I remember they confessed this great sin to me. And um, all right, I, I told him some things that I thought would help him out with that, and, and we went on. It went on for a couple of weeks. I never gave it another thought, never thought about it again. And then uh, later on, this same person—it was a gentleman, it was a, a man young, younger than, than me—he uh, came up to me and he says, "You know, ever since I told you this particular, I think you've been harboring something against me." And I really—I was—I was, I was t totally legitimate. I said, "Since you told me what?" Because I had totally forgotten. Since you told me what? When I told you that, oh, oh, I forgot that we even had that conversation. And then I remembered. 
but you see, he saw things that I did because he, he, he has something false got on the inside of him. Oh, Steve thinks this about me. You see, when you have something false that gets inside you, it's going to hurt you. Get it out. Get rid of it. You don't need it. Don't visualize your next meeting. Don't envision ways to hide the things that you're feeling. Just get rid of those feelings. And don't try and see, how can I appear loving to other people and unburdened by this thing that they have done? Oh, yes, they did do that. Oh, I almost forgotten all about that. <laughs> and you hadn't. You've been thinking about it every day. You don't need to... Don't do, if that's the case, that's going on in your life, you've probably got some bitterness there. Get rid of the bitterness because it's only going to hurt you. Could make you into a man like this. I ask you this question. Is Jesus satisfied by the numbers of times we forgive? Absolutely not. Jesus could not care if you have forgiven one time, seven times, or 490 times. He does not care about the times you forgive. He wants to see that you have based your forgiveness on the pattern that you see from the Father. Follow the pattern. Follow the pattern of how the Master forgave. Follow the principle that my actions impact me and follow the purpose which is to gain your brother. This is what you need to do. The pattern you can learn from the parable is, is simply this. Always keep in mind how much you have been forgiven. Always keep in mind how much God has forgiven you. And then hold that to whatever anyone else does to you, including your spouse, including your kids, including your boss, your coworker. Do not get into a place where we're pulling out the tape measure. All right. Well, if it was a friend of mine, I should forgive like this. But since it's my wife... Right? No. No. Go back to the Bible way of doing it. God says this is forgiveness. Keep in mind how much you have been forgiven. Let me call you to one more example before we go. Do you remember that Jesus was asked a question? And he answered it with a, with a question of his own. He says, there are two people at the altar. One person. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a great sinner. And he beat on his, his chest. And he was mournful. And the other one. Thank you, God, that I am not like this terrible sinner over here on my left. Thank you that I have not done any of those all, evil, awful things. He said, which one do you think went away forgiven? Which one do you think loved the Master more? Two different things. One time he said, which one do you think loved the Master more? The one who was forgiven more. And which one do you think went from the altar forgiven? The one who realized what I forgive other people of is small compared to what God has forgiven me of. And that's the, that's the principle you've got to keep in mind. Whatever someone has done to you, whether they've done it one time in a day, whether they've done it seven times in a day, whether they've done it seven times, 70, makes no difference. Take what they have done and compare it to what you needed to be forgiven for from God. Well, God, here's what they did to me. Here's what you forgave me of. Wow. <laughs> uh, not even a contest. Yeah, no problem at all. See, that? once I realize that, that should motivate me. I'm not counting I'm not looking at numbers. I'm looking at principles. Principle is, God forgave me a great debt. And I will forgive no matter what people come against me with. Stay in that area. Keep bitterness out of your life. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the principle of forgiveness. Not only does it help the brother who fell into sin, but it helps us. Because it keeps bitterness out of our life. It keeps us in a direction. A good direction. Father, we thank you for the direction that we get to go. And your love carries us there. And your forgiveness keeps us on that path. The devil wants to get us into bitterness. wants to get us into anger. Unforgiveness. Gets us off the path of love. 
but you want to keep us on. And so you have demonstrated a pattern for us. Even man, not following the things of God, can demonstrate a pattern that is greater than what most people follow and do. But we serve the Master, God the Father, who is the greatest in all these. And His is the pattern that we follow. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, glory to God. I hope you all enjoyed uh, our video teaching from last week. I didn't get to hear back from too many people on it. Uh, I wrote down so many things, and I actually was going to bring someone over here and tell them to you, and I, I forgot to copy them over. But so many good things that were in that. If you didn't get a chance to go back there and do it, um, I think I told you, if I didn't tell you, I meant to tell you, he and I differ on some doctrinal issues. I could tell that from listening to him. We differ on some doctrinal issues. does not mean I can't glean a whole lot of things from him. And I wrote down all sorts of stuff. I love that part of the, of in the daytime, you can see clearer. But in the nighttime, you can see further. Oh, that was, that was good. But I put a quote in there. He actually, it's not his quote, but in your outline, that was one of the more important principles I think I pulled out of that, that whole thing. That uh, I hope you read it, take it on home, keep it in front of you. Make sure that you, you understand these principles. They are good. Uh, regardless of where the darkness came from, there are times of despair. And my mind goes into thinking these things of times of despair, not times of sickness and disease and so forth. But Saul came into a time of despair at the end of the seven days. And he decided to leave the things of the light and go to the things of the darkness or his own illuminated light. But here's another one for you, Paul, uh, uh, Peter. You remember Peter? When he was uh, following Jesus, that was a dark time in his life. And he didn't stay with the light. He came out of it, but he didn't stay with the light. How much better would it have been for Peter if he stayed with the light? But he didn't. There are times that darkness will come into your life. But make sure that when the darkness comes, you don't forget what you learned in the light. Oh, I love that quote that was, that was in there. Don't forget what you learned in the light. We've got another one coming out today. I forgot to check this one back to our list. I actually had the list of all the ones that we've put out there. I forgot to check this one. Uh, I had it in my list of potential ones to, to uh, share with you. It's just Jesse. We've had a couple of really good thinker ones. Jesse is not a real heavy thinking one. So I'm throwing one out there for you just to kind of a little lighter week and, uh, and enjoy that thing. That's there. If I find out that we already put this one on out there, I'll go through the list before then. I'll change it out and put in a, a, a different one because I have a few that I keep in reserve in case I uh, don't come up with one for the week. But have a good rest of your week. Wednesday night we're going to be here with uh, our study in uh, Zechariah. And we hope you can come on out for that or tune in online. Bless some of the folks that are around you. It's great to see you today.